You all can turn in your Bibles to John 15. John chapter 15. Your Bible, you'll have to turn in your Bible, either a physical Bible that you brought or uh, your Bible app on your smartphone. Yes, you can do that here at Grace. Everyone is welcome here, even Bible app people, because the text is not in your order of worship. Um, Justin, uh, out of just abundance of caution, uh, had a a COVID exposure uh, during the week, and he's feeling fine. Um, and told me yesterday as a, a negative COVID test, but just wanted to be abundantly careful. So asked me if I could come in and uh, jump in in his place. So here we are. John 15, this is, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jesus is being abundantly clear by saying, I am the source of your life, the source of your life. Okay, so during the holiday season, again, we I reflected confession of sin, this polished season of all the coziness, it's cozy season, where we're under the blankets, the fire is lit, and all of the cozy drinks and snacks. And we oftentimes forget that this time of year actually is a life that we live like Christmas trees live. And here's what I mean. Every year, if you're like me and Ivy, you go and you buy a real Christmas tree. And this year, uh, we went to that Christmas tree lot that's behind the Publix over here on East Main, and it's a great lot. You probably got a tree there. We went, we picked it out, we bring it back, we put it in a stand that had some water, and we decorated it, and there are like dozens of ornaments as, with Ivy as a little girl on it that's either photos of her or that she made, and they are un- unbelievably cute. And so we look at the finished product, Bing Crosby's on in the background, it's just unbelievable. We're looking at the tree. And then I remember, you might know this, that Christmas trees, while they look great, they're also dead and dying. Uh, Even if you're watering it, look, you're like, Matt, no, I'll water it. It could last a long time. I leave it up till February. Okay, good for you. It's still dying. It's not in soil. It's not getting the nutrients and all that the tree needs. Great on the outside, death on the inside. Y'all, if that is not life, honestly, in a fallen world, I don't know what is. I really don't. Yes, even during this time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year, is it? (laughs) We're celebrating the glories of the incarnation during Advent. It's the third Sunday of Advent where God broke in on creation to redeem and save us. Unbelievable. Too good to be true realities. And yet, we're limping during this time of year. And we don't have to pretend like we're not. But Jesus came to give us life, not to take life. Actually, not just to give us life, but to be our life. That's what we're going to see, that Christ is the source of our life. I'm going to read from John 15. This is from 1 to uh, verses 1 to 11. And God has spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to us in love. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already, You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, and unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By, the, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Let's pray and walk through it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are not silent, you have spoken, and we will not hear you, we will not trust you, we will not believe you unless by your Spirit you would slow us down and cause us to have faith to have trust that you have spoken and that you are the source of our life, that Jesus is good. He is our shepherd, master, friend, substitute, savior, gardener, and he is good, and we need to trust you. It's what we most need. So I ask that you would do this in Christ's name, amen. Two points, two terms are gonna guide our time together, and here we go with them. Home, Fruit. First, home. Second, fruit. Let's do the first one. Home. I love how directly Jesus is speaking in this passage. Sometimes Jesus, especially when he tells parables, he's doing it intentionally to confuse his hearers, and therefore we get confused. We're not in the first century. We don't understand the cultural sort of normative vocabulary that he has. Jesus is being dead on with us in this passage, and I love how blunt he's being. And he is saying, I'm the source of your life. That's what he's saying. Did you notice how many times the word abide is mentioned in this passage? I tell my students all the time, if you wanna be a good Bible reader, you need to pay attention to words being repeated. Jesus is repeating the word abide. We don't say that word anymore. Churchy word, let's dust it off. What does that mean? Abide. Abide essentially means stick with, to remain in or remain in or to stick with something or someone. And that's why one of the paraphrases of this passage that I love so much that I say to my students so often, Jesus is saying, abide in me. Hey, you might as well be saying, make your home with me. Make your home with me. I love that. Home. That means that the most fundamental thing about you, if you have a speck of faith in Jesus this morning, is that Jesus is the source of your life. Jesus is your home. Home is what grounds us, isn't it? Or should. Home is what tells us, or who tells us, it's the locale of truth about the world and about ourselves. Jesus is our home He is truth, the way, truth, and the life. He is our Savior and friend. I remember when Ivy and I were in the hospital after Annie was born, and the physician came in for her first visit, and I'm just like on the edge of my seat. I am that firstborn dad, and then I just, any flickers of OCD that I have have come out in parenthood, and it began in this visit. When this physician came in, 
Here's the first thing that she said, this pediatrician. Listen, pal, she looked at me. Ivy is Annie's home. Ivy is Annie's home. What a true statement. We have a friend, um, one of Ivy's best friends from college, had a child that was in the NICU for a long time. Very scary stuff. And Ivy and I have been reflecting as Sophie, the child, has gotten out of the NICU and is being able to uh, get milk from her mom and feed on her own and sleep some and just have a normal baby rhythm of the day. Those, during those early seasons, if y'all, y'all medical folks, I know y'all, y'all are in here listening to this, but this is essentially what Ivy was trying to tell me as a PA, that when the mom held Sophie, her heart beat and like um, heart rate started to regulate in a way by the physical touch of her mom. And what that shows us is exactly what the pediatrician told me. Listen, pal, Ivy is Annie's home. Steady, calm, security, truth, home. Jesus is our home. He is the source of our life. Now, when I say home, what a complicated word. Because as I hear college students tell me in coffee shops and in the dining hall, much of our season together in these four years is processing what home has been to them. Shocker, right? They go off and they're realizing who their parents are. The beauty and brokenness of their life. That it was like beautiful on the outside maybe, but inside it's complicated and sinful because we have fallen short of all God's glory, including our parents. And so rather than the key places that have should have been home for us, we've felt like an empty wasteland. We haven't heard the truth, we've heard lies. We haven't experienced Life, we've had life taken from us. Home is oftentimes the environment in which we experience the impossibility of life in a fallen world. Sin, sickness, and death, even at home, it's not Jesus. That is not Jesus. And one of the saddest, if y'all have listened to the Mars Hill, uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, it's a story about the brokenness of the local church and how this one pastor really wounded a church staff and a community in Seattle. It is tragic. You know why it's tragic? Because Jesus is home and the bride of Christ, the church, is supposed to be the extension of the hospitality and home of Jesus. And so even the church is a beautiful and broken place. And you and I know that. But Jesus is our home. A place of truth, a place of security, In fact, home isn't a place, it's a person, and it's Jesus. He's the source of our life. But also, we don't just have home in this passage, we have fruit. Because we leave the house, right? We go and spread our life out in Spartanburg and in Wofford College and downtown where you work and even in your kitchens, in in your house. So let's go to fruit. I love the agricultural imagery of Jesus when he tells stories and when he starts talking. What a first century thing to do, isn't it? Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 says, that doesn't take counsel 
in his own resources and the resources of the word, but roots himself in God's word. He's planted by streams, steady and rooted in God's presence. That's Psalm 1, and that's Jesus. That's John 15. There's fruit bearing because Jesus, he calls himself the vine, we're the branches, but he's a gardener. He could have said, I'm the gardener. In verses one through five, I'm, the, I'm your home, abide with me, my words, my summary. And as you abide in me, you change, you bear fruit. In verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, how do we know that? How do we know we're abiding in Jesus? He it is that bears much fruit. If Jesus is your home, your life will change. It just will. And we see that, that following Jesus Abiding in Jesus, this fruit-bearing life has two features in our passage. The first is obeying Jesus and then being pruned by Jesus. More agricultural stuff. We'll get there in a second. But obeying Jesus. Obeying Jesus is a massive part of following him. That's what he says in verse 10, if you'll look there. Jesus is saying, the sign that you're abiding in me is whether or not you are obeying me. If you keep my commandments... What's the summary of the commandments? Love. Love God, love others. Ten commandments summarized. One word, love. That's what the New Testament tells us. That's what the Apostle Paul calls, agricultural language, the fruit of the Spirit, summarized by loving God and loving neighbor, by daily bread showing up for your life and loving God and loving those around you in the ordinary circumstances of your life. That's it. Abiding in Jesus fruit-bearing, mundane love of God and love of neighbor. It's not just going across the country to spread God's gospel. Of course, we're gonna do that. But it's the mundane showing up and loving God and loving neighbor where you find yourself. That's abiding with Jesus, and y'all are doing that. Wofford RUF students are doing that right now. They're listening to their roommates when they're overwhelmed. They're being patient and honoring their parents who have wounded them. Y'all are doing this. You're trying to find creative ways to share the gospel with your coworkers and parents who have wounded you and kids that have wandered away from the faith. You're doing it. It's mundane. And part of the mundane kind of Justin Kendrick terminology of it, the everydayness of showing up, that's fruit bearing. That's it. And it's beautiful, even though it feels mundane to us. And we do this all the time. We obey that, what, that which we're abiding in or, or whoever we're abiding in. And so the fruit of your life is indicative of who or what you're abiding in. Who or what you're trying to make the source of your life. I tell students all the time, if GPA, if you're trying to make GPA your home, the fruit of your life We'll show it, and you will be stingy with your time and stingy with your resources and controlling in your relationships, and you will be amped up all the time. I see it. That is definitely me. I'm not in school anymore, but when I have image or status or ministry numbers or productivity and efficiency, the fruit of my life will show it. And the fruit of my heart, that is, is churning, will show that I'm trying to find my home in another home that is apart from Jesus, somewhere else. 
So we just gotta ask, based on our life, the way it feels and what we do, how we manage our time and how we manage our resources, our tone of voice when we talk to someone we're allergic to, an inventory on our life, where's my home, who is my home? That's why we confess our sins each week because we know we're trying to find a home and security and satisfaction in all kinds of other places. So obeying Jesus, abiding in him, okay? But then being pruned by him. What, some strange language here, isn't it? Unless you're like a gardener person. Pruned by Jesus. This means that growth happens in the Christian life like roses grow. Did you know that roses, maybe you do know this, that roses require like precise care that is meticulous from a gardener that knows what they're doing. If you've planted in your backyard and you have plots in your backyard, you grew up with a gardener, you need to know what you're doing. And Jesus is saying, he's using this pruning vocabulary to say, he's the gardener and he's going to trim off thorns in your life. And it's going to hurt. And it's messy. And sin and sickness and death is in a fallen world and we're going to grieve. And we're all going to walk through suffering. And it's not because God is far away, it's because he loves us. He's actually going forward. The Puritans had such a category for this. Puritans are so easy to beat up on. We need to like restore some appreciation for Puritans. Anytime I can do that with college students, I try to. And here's what I would say. The Puritans, when you read their early writings, they kind of sound crazy. Like, let's just be, and here's why. They had this kind of bare bones life, almost this kind of, almost monastery kind of life. And they had a category that suffering in a fallen world was God loving them. They knew that God was like involved as a sovereign God, good reformed Calvinists that they were, that God was involved in every corner of their life and there was no part of our life that's off limits and it might hurt, but that's the gardener. Our circumstances are out of control. He's not far away, he's close. He's convicting me in my sin. He's not mad at me. He loves me. He loves me too much to leave me alone in this. You see, I want you to see not just that the Christian life is not this easy, polished, upwardly mobile thing, but the fruit of the Spirit abiding in Jesus stings. You know this. I know this. Even if you haven't gone through an intense, traumatic, grieving season, you know this because you've been sinned against. And you've sinned against other people. But that actually, the gardener is not, fall, is not far off and apathetic in the messiness of life in a fallen world. He's close. He's pruning us. He is involved. He's convicting us. He is stretching us. One of my favorite passages that we've looked at at Wofford RUF this semester, we said Christ is our peace when the disciples are on the boat with Jesus. One word, he calms hurricane-level storms. Where is Jesus? Napping in the basement of the boat. And they are looking around, panic attack, anxiety, because they're, they hear the boat starting to break. And they go downstairs to Jesus to wake him up. And every single commentator, every single sermon 
that I studied on that passage and I told my students is that Jesus is trying to stretch his disciples. He's trying to prune them. That is a gardener at work in that boat. In one word, he calms it. He's trying to stretch us always to draw us closer to himself. There are so many things that we could say about this passage in terms of application. I do want to land the plane with just two things I want you all to consider. If you're the note-taking type, I just got two things for us, okay? The first thing is delight. The second thing is dependence. If we take this passage seriously and talk about it in community groups and prayer triads and close friends, and we're trying to say, I want to chew on this passage, not just on Sunday, but like tomorrow and Tuesday and during this Christmas season, what would it look like? I think it would look like delight and dependence. Delight because God delights in you. Listen to this. This is probably a familiar passage. Can you hear this in a fresh way? I'm being serious. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Here's what that means. Jesus is saying that just as God the Father loves God the Son, he loves you. I'm just paraphrasing. That's what it says. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian love that has existed before creation. He's saying we're that close. That is wild. Just as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I'm your home. Stay there. I delight in you. Delight so that you might live a life characterized by gratitude and delight, not duty. Gratitude, not trying to earn something. Gratitude, not showing up for some authoritative figure in your life who won't make eye contact with you and is always switching the channel on the screen or he's going to kick you off the team when you make one mistake. You're called into the principal's office. Have we not had these figures in our lives? That's not he delights in you. Why? He died for you. Because what we're going to celebrate in a few moments, that's why we do the Lord's Supper weekly to keep the gospel fresh on our minds because we can't do it enough. Grace Pres, we don't move on from the simple fact that God came into the world to die for us. And the gospel and mercy and grace, these words, can get so churchy so fast. And it is the center of who we are and the result of sinking our teeth in the gospel. And that Jesus delights in us, dying for us, is a life of gratitude. And saying thank you with your life. Delight. I'm just thankful to be here. Remember, when LeBron James went into the, the league, y'all know I'm a LeBron James fan. If you're not, I realize that hitter, he's kind of a hit or miss for folks. I understand that, even if you're a Kobe fan, especially if you grew up in my era. I remember LeBron James, he has this tagline. He just says, just a kid from Akron. He's from Akron, Ohio. In other words, I'm just thankful to be here. Like, I'm just thankful to be in the NBA. He skipped college. He went right in the NBA. I'm thankful to be here. Just a kid from Akron. Like, gratitude. 
thanks for getting me into the party. Let's eat and drink and be merry in the kingdom. Dependence, though, not just delight. Dependence. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. Do you want to change during this time of year? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you want to grow in your marriage? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you want to love your parents? Apart from Jesus, brothers and sisters, my little brothers and sisters, you can't do anything without Jesus. Do you want to love your classmates, students? Apart from me, you can do nothing, especially with those friends who are hurting you, whose words sting every time they open their mouth to you. Do we, as Grace Prez, and first of all, uh, we closed on a building. Praise be to God. Um, God is being so kind to us. We found a music director. God is being so kind to us. We're moving here, aren't we, in this church? Do we want to love God and to love Spartanburg? Apart from Jesus, this church can do nothing, as Dylan reminded us in our prayer. That's Advent. And that's what we're about to feast on in a few seconds at the table. Let me pray. Apart from you, Lord, we can't do anything. And we are kidding ourselves when we live this self-sufficient life, this life where we pretend to have it all together, where we pretend that we're just going to become increasingly, increasingly more self-sufficient and autonomous, help us to take on a childlike posture of life, of delight and depending on you, Help us to embrace that as a church and help us to be nourished by the Lord's table in a few moments that we might bear fruit this week in our lives. Amen.